What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the Indie Hackers Podcast. On this show, I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses, and I try to get a sense of what it's like to be in their shoes. How did they get to where they are today? How did they make decisions, both at their companies and in their personal lives? And what exactly makes their businesses tick? And the goal here, as always, is so that the rest of us can learn from their examples and go on to build our own profitable internet businesses. Today, I am in beautiful South Africa in Cape Town, sitting across from the lovely Alex Proctor, the founder of Diggs. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Colton. I'm so excited to be chatting to you. I'm excited to be here. South Africa's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's It's a great place. (laughs) It's honestly a very confusing place, too, for an American to come. It's like there's so many different groups that live here in different situations. And I mean, we have 11 national languages. Yeah. Just like the start. That's too many. (laughs) I mean, our road signs are hella confusing. I tell you that. It's like, oh my gosh, which one do I pick? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the right number of national languages is, but 11 is definitely. And like one turn off will take you to like this beautiful, like beachy, like, like really upmarket area. And the other turn off will take you to like, a place where you don't want to end up after dark. You know? It's like one or two. There's no in between. Yeah. Well, I'm succeeding. I haven't been murdered yet. But it's my last day here, so I think I'll make it out alive. And then you just cross those fingers. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Diggs. What is it exactly? So Diggs or Diggs Connect is Africa's largest student accommodation marketplace. Uh, essentially, we sort of call ourselves the AMV of student housing. Uh, which perhaps I shouldn't say on an American-based podcast because people might actually like <laughs> have like issue with that. But in South Africa, no one's really caused concern yet. But basically what we do is we're a marketplace that just connects landlords and students. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in South Africa, we have a bunch of universities, a bunch of private colleges, about 2.3 million students in total, but only a tiny amount of those students are housed by the actual universities, about 5%. So most students are either living at home or need to find their own housing. And um, before Digs Connect started, there was no place to go. Like it was really antiquated. There were like posters on walls. There were stickers up and like, you know, the university library saying spare room in my house, my flat, whatever it is. Um, just so you know, a digs is like a South African term for like a student commune, like a house right. like, or my, my digs, whatever. And yeah, there's no place to go. I mean, there's maybe like Facebook groups or people chat each other or like a friend of a friend with no place, but there's no like actual go-to place. And I was getting worse almost every year where people were like, we cannot find a place to stay. And especially taking South Africa's history into account where like we've tried to really like you know, that infrastructure didn't support the entire population to go to university. And so there's been an influx of more students going to university, but not the infrastructure to support that, definitely the housing to support that. And so um, students are now you know, being supported by government to go to university, to, to break these poverty cycles, to get an education, but they had no place to go stay. So they'll arrive on campus and literally be homeless. Students will arrive and be sleeping in like lecture theaters, be sleeping in the library with like nowhere to go. And there are these huge protests happening every year. I mean, I don't know if you guys heard about the Fees Must Fall movement, but there was this massive protest a few years ago called Fees Must Fall and all the students around South Africa was like, literally were like protesting on campus, they went to parliament, um, they're doing petitions and... I mean, the one thing that even happened around that was called Shackville. And the shack is kind of like, like a, like a slum, like, like a township, like a slum. And, and these students came onto campus at UCT, at the University of Cape Town, and they actually built a shack saying that, like, this is what we're being reduced to as students because there's no housing. And the media picked up on this, went absolutely mad. And the narrative at the time was that there is not enough student housing. Mm-hmm. Around the same time with this, I was in my undergrad at UCT. And I was quite involved in student like politics and student governance. And I ended up being elected onto the student representative council, which is like the highest student governance body at the university. Um, and interestingly enough, my portfolio was student housing. And so I was dealing with all the students that couldn't find a place to stay. They're coming to me saying, how do I find a place to stay? But on the other side, I had landlords calling in saying that, you know, we have these student properties and they're vacant. Where do you find students? Or you also have these big property companies here in South Africa that have like thousands of beds, have all these empty rooms. They've got vacancies, you know, where are the students? So from both sides, you have this demand, like, you know, students looking for a place to stay, parents looking for a place for their kids. Um, and then you had the landlords, the property companies saying, where are the students? How can you like fill these beds up? And then you had the colleges and universities that were completely overloaded with students demanding a place to stay, but not knowing where to send them. And there's just no real solution. This is happening up until like recently, you know, before Days Connect started, like 2017, this was still happening uh, where people would do paper-based system. So I was seeing my little SRC office uh, at UCT and I had on my like SRC computer, literally an Excel spreadsheet. And I had a list of all the students who were coming to me saying, I need to find a place to stay. I had a list of all the landlords calling and saying, we have beds. And I was matching them up manually being like, Hugo here, you go here, you go here. And I was studying, bi- studying biology at the time um, because I wanted to become Tomb Raider. 
I just was like, that's cool. I could, I don't want to be Tomb Raider, man. <laughs> so I thought if I studied biology and then worked for like National Geographic, I could be Tomb Raider. And it made sense in my mind. Okay. I was like, 20. you were young. <laughs> and uh, involved in street politics. And yeah, that was all vibe. And sitting there and I'd done a year of comp size, so like really basic, like Python, a little bit of like JavaScript, like and you basically had to like string a website together. And what I couldn't learn from like Varsity, you can learn online, like easy, mm-hmm. like Khan Academy, Udemy, those kind of exactly. things. Exactly. There's a ton of resources. And no, it's, I mean, honestly, it's amazing. And so over a weekend, I was like, what if I just like built a website, like a really basic, I just took this database of like properties and send students there just for like, just to solve my problem I was facing. And like, it was never this like, oh, I'm going to start a company or I'm this entrepreneur or I want to be in the business. I was like, let me just solve my problem and build this website. So literally over a weekend, I built a two page website and the one page was you could list property, like find all the property. So you'll scroll through your list. And the other page was you could add a property. And that was literally it. I put it up over a weekend. I called it Digs Connect because Digs, like the student word for like, it's an African word for student house. And then connect because you're connecting each other. I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, it's, it sounds cool. I remember sitting in the SRC meeting and I was briefing everyone else in the meeting. I was like, guys, I'm going to build a website called Digs Connect. But because I speak quite fast, they were like, Dicks Connect. <laughs> Are you sure we're going to push this like Dicks Connect agenda? It's South like, Africa's premier gay dating website. <laughs> yeah. It's like a sexual awareness. Like, how? I mean, <laughs> I was like, no, guys, Dicks Connect. But then some guy had drawn a picture of two dicks touching. And he was like, this has to be the logo for Dicks <laughs> We actually recently, about two weeks ago, we bought DicksConnect.com as part of like a marketing ploy. <laughs> this is what happens when you start a startup and college. <laughs> we called it, yeah, Dicks Connect. <laughs> But digs connect and put the website up and I sent students there. I told Lance to go list them. And by and large, kind of forgot about it. Like I'll check it every now and again, but I was still doing my my qualification, still studying. And then I remember just like sitting in lectures and I was looking at my like our Google Analytics and being like, fuck, like check out traffic. This is insane. Like who are these people going on our platform? And then we started getting like organic listings that are on Cape Town. And I was like, these are like other people that I haven't spoken to, just like going on this website and creating listings. This is like insane. And we start getting more and more traffic, more and more students. And then the closest town to us, Stellenbosch, where there's another big university there, um, start getting listings in Stellenbosch and students from there going on. And I was like, sure, this is like hectic. And then we got like phone calls from guys in like Joburg, at Pretoria, and Joe Pretoria in Gauteng. And like the market there is three times bigger than the market here in the Western Cape. So I mean, that was like a huge bump in our growth. And I was like, that's insane. And then one day I got a phone call from this guy and he's like, oh, I love that Connect and I have 4,000 student base. I'm going to list them on your platform. And we're like, wow, that's, that's crazy. And he was like listing from a place in Potchefstroom. Potchefstroom is like a tiny little town, almost in the middle of nowhere, but they have a huge university there. They serve about 75,000 students. It's the University wow. of the Northwest, massive. And we're like, holy shit. Like this is like, this is happening, you know? And then more and more, we're getting this traffic and it was exploding. And then end up dropping out and being like, this make this a real business. So we reached the company, my two co-founders, they jumped on board. That's Greg and Brandon. We rebuilt the entire platform because I did the original platform and I'm like a dreadful developer, like self-taught hacker. Like half the screen is like reading how to do it. The other half is doing it. <laughs> like it was terrible. It was hideous. But then Brandon rebuilt the whole thing. I uh, built it in Django and React and ended up hosting on uh, Google Cloud because they gave us a ton of free credits. And so and every time we're on credit, we just like email them. We're like, hey guys, can you give us more free credit? They're like, yeah, sure. So we're like, thanks. <laughs> Um, we built the whole platform and then just, yeah, I mean, it's just been insane ever since then. We've just been growing like crazy. We now list about 70,000 beds on our platform. Oh, we launched the, the first version of the website in January 2018. So mm-hmm. almost exactly two years ago. And uh, yeah, we now list about 70,000 beds on our platform in about 17 locations across South Africa, basically every university we've got a presence. And then a big milestone we reached was last year in March, we decided to fundraise the first time we had a few offers coming through, but like it was for all my, my co-founders, it was our first rodeo, our first time to, you know, starting a company and go through all the, the process of building a company. But we had these guys approach us and they said, can we like, you know, invest in a company? We can say, no, we're not keen, we're not keen, we're not keen. And then we started getting a bit too much interest from people that were probably going to start competing with us. And we were like, look, we've got this really incredible opportunity. No one's really doing anything in the space yet. There seems to be a lot of demand here. If we don't take this seriously and give this company the resources it needs, there's a chance that someone might overtake us or we'll fuck it up and then like lose a lot of clients. So like, let's get serious. Let's actually like 
hire a proper dev because there's three of us then, you know, we'll let's hire a proper dev team, some real marketing here. Let's get some real like operational support here. Let's use all the tools, the sales forces, the whatever it needs to like make this thing work. And so we decided to, yeah, to go to markets like fundraising. So we put together that pitch deck, did the whole process. And I realized that most of the work when it comes to fundraising is actually like in the preparation. I think if you prepare like really well, you get your pitch properly, like proper, you do your numbers properly, you get your projections right, your budget, your forecast, everything was like properly done. We got financial help because we didn't have financial background. So we got a guy who was an auditor from Deloitte in London. He joined our team and he made sure that like our financials made sense. Uh, we then pitched to like a few guys and yeah, I mean, it was, it was incredible. We got off, off the bat, we got some incredible offers from some really big players in South Africa and we'd almost closed the deal and we had like had a term sheet on the table and we we're going to fly to Joburg to kind of like close the deal there. And then the morning we're supposed to fly, we got a call from these guys saying, hey, do you want to come pitch to us? And we're like, oh, well, fine. We're actually very busy, but like, fine, you know, we'll come through. And so we walked in with these guys and it was just like, like a love at first sight. I swear to God, like you just, they just came straight away. Like that's how it should be to investors. Like you just sit down and we just clicked straight away. It was like the same vision for the company, the same outlook, the same like approach to what the company is going to be, the future of the company. We were completely on the same page. And it was just like incredible. After an hour, we were like, oh my God, this is perfect. Actually, we were like, we were exactly the company they were looking to invest. They were exactly the kind of investors that we wanted. They would guide us, they would open doors for us, they would be mentors for us, they would have the financial support for us, but also give us the space to be entrepreneurs. They trusted our vision, they trusted what we want to build. And so they're like, please don't go to Joburg, like, let's just call our guys down here. So they called their partners across, we then pitched to the entire group of them. And literally within a week, we had a term sheet on the table, went to legals after that and closed the deal, I'd say about a month later. So about five weeks, we turned around from an initial chat to, to a deal and it's been almost a year now with them and it has been extraordinary i mean they've just been amazing you know how much money did you raise uh we raised 12 million rand in our seed round so 12 million rand it's just under a million dollars like yeah. eight or nine hundred thousand dollars it's the biggest seed round in south africa to date wow yeah so you're like the leading <laughs> south african startup basically which is I mean, pretty cool i wouldn't say that but <laughs> other people have said that <laughs> It's been said about us. Well, I will say it again. Uh, <laughs> you know, like the thing that stood out to me in, in that story is the nature of the problem that you were solving. That In South Africa, you have a massive influx of new students who, you know, maybe their parents and their parents' parents had never gotten an education before. And mm. Colleges just weren't ready for, you know, this just descent of so many students. And so people are literally going to college and they're homeless and they can't sleep anywhere. Yeah. And along comes Dick's Connect and you're suddenly connecting these students with places to live. Why had nobody done that before you if the problem was so drastic and it was so pressing and so obvious? I think that's South Africa's like, so I've got like a practical like answer to this and a philosophical answer to this. I guess I'll start with the philosophical one. I think that maybe a lot of South Africans don't feel like, I want to say almost like the audacity to solve problems or don't feel like the, like the capability to solve problems. I think that a lot of South Africans sort of look around all the things are wrong in our country. And there's, there's a lot, you know, we have a crazy crime. We have rolling blackouts. Um, we've got crazy inequality. There's insane poverty. And I think a lot of people feel powerless to make changes. And especially because this issue is affecting students. Students are young, you know, you're 18, 19, 20 years old, and maybe you don't feel capable of making these changes. Maybe you don't feel like it's actually, you can do it. You look at a problem, you feel overwhelmed by itself breaking down to steps. And I think that it's maybe just like, it's, it's, yeah, I don't say like a cultural thing, but like, you know, the way our education system works, not in South Africa, across the world, is you're told to sit down and like, you know, put your hand up if you've got a question or listen to what the teacher says or ask permission. We're not told to actually stand up and take control and take the lead and figure it out and solve the problem. And that's one of my, my biggest gripes to the education system is that it doesn't make leaders, it makes followers. Right. And maybe in South Africa, it's that issue where like we just we don't solve the problems that we have. And so people are just complaining or we kind of wait for someone else to do it for us. You know, like it's someone else will fix it or how can, I don't know, the power structures that be, you know, where it's the universities or the, or the, or the government or, you know, the big players, how can this happen? They'll fix it for us. Instead of realizing that the power to change the world rests with you as an individual, with your tenacity and, and, with, and with your conviction to believe that you can change it and you can make a solution that only solves your own problem, but the problems of people around you. And if further that, you can make something that fixes the, you know, the, the problems that humanity is facing, that our planet is facing. And something that I really want to do a lot of my life personally is like, how can I inspire South Africans, especially, you know, sort of South African women and underprivileged South African women living in 
quite different situations. You said that you actually can change your circumstances. It's completely on you to like, you know, to to lift yourself up. You have to wait for our incompetent government, you know, to get around because they won't get around to it, quite frankly. And you have to wait for other people like big business because generally big business is motivated by profits. You know, like it's cool. I think a millennial business, especially and like young entrepreneurs have like this social justice mission, what they're doing, which is super cool. But at the end of the day, I think that, you know, I think people just didn't feel like they were capable of making the solution to it. And then the more practical thing is that I think South Africa is quite just behind in terms of tech. Like the thing of just like building a platform, which, you know, is, is so like, I think so natural perhaps in like America or like, you know, the UK or like in Europe and stuff. It's like, just build tech solutions, build an app for it. It's almost like a joke how like common it is. Yeah, I just build an app for that. Whereas here it's not that common. Like, I mean, I'd say that in my last two years of being a tech entrepreneur, yeah, I probably know every single tech startup in the country. They are just not because I'm super well networked because there aren't a lot of us, you know, like over the course of like a year or so, a couple of months, even you can meet literally every single tech entrepreneur in the country. First name basis. We do dinner, poker nights, that kind of stuff. And like, that's, there aren't a lot of us. People yeah. just take us in widespread here. So I got the feeling at the ND hackers meetup last night that like everybody knew each other. Yeah, and it was like a huge percentage of the startups were there. <laughs> like hey nick hey mike it's like how are you doing yeah and you've all known each other for a long time like you all went to college together like seven years ago it's all it's very tight-knit no we've all known each other for a while so yeah there aren't a lot of us and so i think that was the issue is that people didn't think they could build the solution and they didn't know how to build the solution and i mean it's fair enough i mean lord knows when i started i didn't know how to do it or what to do or anything like that um, everything I've learned, I've learned for the first time, every time raising funding was the first one. I learned how to do a pitch deck, how to do this kind of cash flow. Every day I'm learning how to manage a team, you know, how to be a good leader. Every day I'm learning how to you know, turn a profit. I learned how to do sales for the first time while doing sales. It's kind of just like, it's, it's like an audacity thing. I think you have to, I don't know. You just have to have this word in South Africa, scam. It means like have no shame. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I've got no scam. You just, you, just like, <laughs> you have to be oh, shameless. You have to be shameless. Exactly. Yeah. That's, you have to just like not really care about things going wrong. And maybe that's the other thing, actually, now I think about it, is that there's no safety net in South Africa, really. Like in richer countries, there's a safety net in that if something goes wrong in your life, you probably won't end up on the streets. I mean, you probably have like family that is fairly well established. They're in jobs. They've got a good home. They've got insurance. You probably have, you know, social security, you probably have insurance. Um, you probably have like, you know, an, a big tax base where your government will look after you. And that is not the case in South Africa. Like if you fuck up here, the consequences are extremely serious. You will be on the street, you know? Like people, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a minority of people in this country that have got money, that have got kind of like that that safety net. But for a lot of South Africans, they come from very, very desperate situations. You spoke about it earlier about, you know, a lot of people, it's their first time in their family. And like a, like a huge family, they'll be going to university. They'll be finishing with trick even. Most people haven't even finished, you know, matric or higher education. And so now you're taking like, you know, people from like really poor backgrounds who come from like, you know, villages or townships who are now having to like take loans from the government or from business to, you know, get an education. And the stakes are just so high. Like, I think the risk, the, the nature of a risk of starting a company, you know, and it's, it's just doesn't weigh out how much people could lose. And like, it's kind of conversation we had earlier, you know, off, off the podcast about, you know, what people want. I think most people just want to have like, reach a level of stability here. Like South Africa is so fascinating because there's such a huge spread of like, not super wealthy, but like generally pretty wealthy people um, to people that are extremely desperate. I mean, extremely desperate here. And and kind of like everything, you know, in between that. And so it's just, people just want to live a good, stable life here. They want to be able to have, you know, a solid brick house with like four walls around. They want to make sure their kids are going to like a good school where there's not 80 kids in a class, but like it's a normal size. So they have, the books are coming through. They want to live with a stable government that isn't, you know, like infighting all the time. And there's not like corruption stories in the front page of the newspaper every single day. And there's not like bribery happening all the time. And they want to be able to like go to a hospital and actually see a competent doctor and are waiting in lines for days and, you know, get, get super even more sick in like, you know, those dodgy hospitals. So I think that most of you here just want to have a good life. Um, and the thing of providing solutions is still quite a, a new mentality. Yeah. In America, we've got the so-called American dream, which I think was like much stronger when I was a kid. I remember in the 90s, everybody feeling like I can be the next Bill Gates. And you mentioned that, you know, the educational system here sort of produces followers, not leaders. Mm. But it feels the same in the United States. Education is sort of like get on this track, get this degree, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. 
But our media sort of broadcasts these business leaders as heroes. Mm-hmm. Like Bill Gates is a hero. Elon Musk from South Africa. Like <laughs> everyone knows who he is. In America. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it kind of inspires people to start things. And we don't have the same lack of encouragement that exists here where it's like, okay, well, you know, you don't have a safety net mm-hmm. or you don't necessarily have the infrastructure. For example, like you have, I don't know what it's called, but like the power just goes out. Oh, or, yeah. It's called load shedding. It's, yeah, load it's shedding. It's rolling blackouts. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's like at this time of day, this week, every month, you know, the power is going to be out. And like, if you want to code, you can't. Sorry, your internet's out. You want to go get a sandwich from the shop. Sorry, their kitchen's down. And like, that's... It's insane. I mean, it's honestly insane that like our government is so incompetent to the to the extent that we have scheduled blackouts across our country where like it is costing our economy billions of rands because business can't operate. I mean, like just for ourselves, we're like a tiny little example. We're just a team of 13 people and like, you know, two-year-old that company, but like, we're an internet-based company. So when the power goes out, our internet goes out. So sure, we can maybe hotspots off our phones for a while. But then because there's so many power outages, the battery power that backs up like the cell phone towers, those go out. So then our data connection cuts out, right? And then after four hours, our laptops, like the power runs out there. So like we're still paying everyone to be in the office. You know, we're still, our, our clients, our users are still expecting us to like access things, but like they just, they can't. And it's like, it's, it's, it's insane. But on the other hand, too, I feel like all these problems, I know I'm like a diehard optimist, and I feel like all these problems make us better entrepreneurs. Like, like it makes us so resilient where we are constantly having to like take these hits and we have to adjust, we have to hustle, we have to reevaluate, we have to make a plan. Every day we have to make a plan. If something goes wrong and you have to figure it out and get better for it. And I think as an entrepreneur, one of the most exciting things, one of the best tests you can have is when things go wrong, how can you not like, instead of being like, oh no, this thing's gone wrong, let me just patch it. But rather, like, how can I use this as a learning lesson to be like to make something even better? To like right. make it like a 10x better experience because something went so bad and and use this opportunity really just to rise above. And that's what it does here. I think that you know, the, the kind of business leaders we have in those countries, the kind of entrepreneurs like cutting their teeth here are world class. Just because we're dealing with things that no one else deal, dealt with. I mean, for example, like I know I think I'm talking about dad's a doctor, and often what he sees is a lot of med students from like Scandinavia will come out to South Africa and in two weeks, they'll see more cases here than they would see in like- I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you spend a Friday night in one of our government hospitals, <laughs> you will see everything <laughs> short of a war zone. So it's just, you. the experience you get here is, is like out of this world, but it, it does get hella frustrating. You know, when you're trying to, when you're trying to build a company, you're trying to, and like not only are entrepreneurs and business people in this country, not only are we making a profit, we are developing this country. I think that the, the future of this continent of Africa depends on the entrepreneurs because we are developing this place. And I think you can almost compare the, like development with freedom. That's actually, um, I'm quoting from a book now I was reading called Development as Freedom. Um, it's by Amritaya um, Sen, I think. Um, and it's brilliant. It's really, really good. It's like, yeah, it's, it's shaped, it's informed a lot of my opinions on like economics and development economics. But if you look at like a lack of development as basically an unfreedom in individuals, like it is so crucial that like we allow people to develop, to build products, to build services, to to build infrastructure, and yeah, be rewarded through that through like you know profit whatever it is because like that development allows opportunities for people. We were saying earlier how mobile banking apps have literally like lifted the GDP of some countries in Africa, like in Kenya, just because now it's allowing people to like transact in a way they never could before. I mean, the government is never going to get around to it. Like I'll tell you right now, first time experience. Any government in Africa will never come close to providing the kind of like infrastructure and services and upliftment, social upliftment that like a tech startup will. Like 100%. We just like, we enable people to like, to like interact. I mean, just like a small thing that Disconnect is doing. Like we're allowing students like to, to find a home. I mean, yeah. a story I had the other day was this um, kid from Zimbabwe is in uh, his third year at university and it's here in South Africa. And every year he's like, it is such a disaster because like I couldn't get a visa to come study in South Africa until I had proof of accommodation. But I couldn't get proof of accommodation because I was in Zimbabwe. So I couldn't find a place to stay. And like, I didn't know where to go before. I mean, like you go on like these dodgy free listing websites, but then there's a so full of scammers. It's kind of like you're the version of, you know, your guys Craigslist. Yeah. But you go on these dodgy websites and he's like, I do now pay a deposit on this dodgy website. I'll probably get scammed. But then at least I've got like a, like a lease, which I could give to the government to get my visa, but then I'll still arrive late. It was my first week of lectures. And like, it's a really tough coming from a different country. And now I'm around the back foot and trying to get this education. And now we're trying to like, you know, educate a generation of young Africans to like become active citizens in the economies. We can't even help them get an education. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And then, you know, he messaged me the other day and he's like, I just want to say like with Dix Connect, it's, 
you've got no idea how much has helped me now because I could find a place to stay in two days and things connected, pay the deposit and it's a legit place. I know it's good quality. I know I'm going to be safe there. I know it's like right by university because you can look on the map and all the features we have on our website and our app. Booked, paid, done, got my visa for the first time in my entire undergrad. I'm going to get to university on time. And like, I don't know, I get like so emotional. Actually, I know you're supposed to be like this cold strategic business person, but I get so emotional I read these stories because it's like, the governments are they're failing these people, you know, but like just me and a couple of other crazy like students, we built this website to solve a problem and like it's changing people's lives, you know, changing the way that, that education is being experienced. And that's just like just one story. There are so many other startups that are doing those incredible things across insurance, across health, across like so many different areas that are just really like making the world a better place, really like shaping humanity. And I think it is so inspiring and so exciting. And I mean, the government needs to get out of our way or do the kind of support to take entrepreneurs. I live in the Bay Area and there's so many startups that don't do anything nearly that impactful. It's kind of a cliche at this point that like the latest thing out of Silicon Valley is always going to be like some sort of meaningless app to get you more addicted to something. Uh, but coming here, it's like talking to all the founders of the meetup last night. All of you were sort of together and you want your companies to improve the infrastructure and the cost, like the the quality of life and the country and to like actually have an impact on people here. And I think, you know, on one hand, it's like very depressing to see just how stark some of the problems are here. But also as an entrepreneur, it gives you the ability to have a crazy impact. I mean, you went from like zero to what, 70, 80,000 listings on your website in like not that many years. (laughs) And like, that's the sign that you're actually serving a very unmet need that people really care passionately about. I will say like, if you're an entrepreneur, like Africa is a land of opportunity. There's like, I mean, I think apparently like Google or like some like really big, you know, these big companies in America are so focused on the potential that Africa is going to be with like so many, like hundreds of billions of people that are coming into like, almost into like like the, the online marketplace now. I mean, these are people that want to transact, they want to buy these consumers that are like, are going to start taking, like taking part in our international economy. And it is like such an exciting place, I think, to to build a company, to like sort of wet your teeth in a way and to just build infrastructure. Like there's, because there's such a lack of infrastructure, like even like the hard infrastructure, soft infrastructure to just like ancillary services, there's like, there's so much opportunity. And so a lot of my friends, you'll see that who, you know, went to, um, I don't know, like in you know, expensive school chain stuff are leaving the country. You know, they're just like, actually, it's too bad. Yeah, it's too dangerous. There's not an opportunity. I'm going to go to a logo living in London right now. I mean, I'd say like, like half of London is like South African <laughs> or like going to Australia and they're leaving. And, and like a lot of people do want to leave, but I'm just like, it's, I don't know, it's boring. It's so, you're going to go somewhere, it's really like so developed. There's like an entrepreneur on every corner, you're going to build stuff and they have like so much competition and like everything's been done. So yeah, what can you do? You're going to do like a meaningless app that does, who even cares? Something like lame. Whereas here, like, because the problems are so intense and so vast and the yeah. scope is so big and it affects so many people, you can literally just being in your early 20s with a couple of friends, build something that will impact hundreds of thousands of people in a deeply meaningful way. And I think like in terms of like, the big stuff, like the meaning of life kind of stuff, like what are you right. doing every day? It is so gratifying. It is so meaningful that like what you're doing and the code you're writing or like the content you're creating or whatever it is, like is affecting so many people in such a profound way. And yeah, it's tough, but like living out here and trying to like operate in these conditions, but it is so exciting. And I think in terms of like a meaningful life and an exciting life, there is no place I'd rather be than building a company in South Africa. Tell me about these early days when you weren't really treating this as like the mission for your life when it was just kind of a cool project that you threw together, you know, an Excel spreadsheet and then a website that you built. Where were all these people coming from? And at what point did you decide, hey, this shouldn't just be a side project. This is something that should really be my mission. Sure. So it kind of happens in steps. It wasn't like a like an aha moment where I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm just calling Jeff Bezos. <laughs> it is kind of like, yeah, like small things that happen every now and again, nudges in that direction. Like, I remember the first people we had were basically all the landlords who were calling me on SRC saying, hey, I heard you the SRC person this year. Here's my room details, send students here. So I just, those landlords will call me and I say, oh, well, I've actually just built like a really basic website um, as part of the SRC thing. You can just create your listing on this link here. So this is you as like part of the student government and your mandate was basically fixing or helping with students. Yeah, and, and you have predecessors. Yeah, well, presumably also got these calls from landlords, yep. but they never made a website. No, Did they, they have an Excel spreadsheet? Like what were they? They had doing? no Excel spreadsheet. I think they would like just do calls or maybe do like an email, like emailers or the, I mean the universities, oh, how do I say this nicely? Um, <laughs> bureaucratic. Right. 
And so if you want to try introduce innovation, it has to go through like a hundred bodies for approval first. And everyone's going to say no the whole way up. And you can fight no's. And I love fighting a no. Someone will say no to me. And I'm like, yes, because I, I can fight you to change your mind. <laughs> and you can fight the whole way to the top. Uh, a lot of people get over it after like, the first no, but and so it's just like it just knows the whole way. So you were getting knows. I want to build nose. this website, but people were like, no. You I can't. went to university and I was like, I'm gonna like, what do you guys think about this thing where we build it into the university's website, like on your guys' domain? We'd have a link that would just like be your student housing portal. We can digitalize the entire process. I pitched the whole thing to them. I met with the committees, the housing committees, the the deputy vice chancellors, all the right people in the right structures. I have the secretary, secretaries, PA. Everybody in these big monolithic bureaucratic systems, email after email after email, the meetings, and basically everyone just said no. They're like, we don't need it. We we have this nice poster on the wall. Look at the. We what, like our students homeless. What about the poster? Yeah, exactly. Like, what about the poster? Like, can't you see? There's a great poster. Or like, look at our nice list we have here. Like a paper. Give you that. You print out a paper list and give it to you. I mean, some of the universities in South Africa who who haven't worked with us yet are still giving out paper lists to their students. They're standing queues around the building. And we're just like, that is, that is insane. All those students are sitting there on their phones. Like surely you should reach them on their phone with an app. Like they're on their phones, but no, the university want to give out their paper lists. So anyway, so these basically these big bureaucratic systems. And I think that my predecessors perhaps in my, in the role I was in just were facing the nose and just didn't have like the, the lack of scam, you know, that I had to kind of be like, well, fine then, if you don't want to judge it myself. And that's kind of always been something in my life where people say no to me. I'm like, well, I don't need you. <laughs> Whatever, I'll do it anyways. Like, you suck. <laughs> and then I'll just do it myself. And no matter how much it costs me, just because, I don't know, just because of like the, the fuck you attitude I sometimes get where people would like doubt me and say I couldn't do it just to prove them wrong. And no matter how much it physically costs me, like the pain, the agony, like, the sleepless nights, the the social like rejection, I will do it to prove a point. And sometimes it has not been in my benefit. <laughs> it's backfired several times. But I think it was that. I was just, I just was like, fine, I'll do it. Literally, I will, like, it can't be that hard to build a website, honestly. Like, and it wasn't. I mean, I think I even like, like a WordPress website, come on, you can do that like in a few hours. A Wix website, it's free. Like, it's not hard. You don't need, also, you don't need endless resources. I mean, I was on a shared server. On like a local server company here for like 50 rand a month. And it's like, what, like $2 or something. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's nothing. It's fine. It's not hard to do. So I just literally did it and yeah, I got up there. And then I think the students that were going on the site was because, well, I was a student. So all my friends were students. So I like post on Facebook, like, ha ha, look at my website guys. And it was like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> and then I got on it to be like, well, it's actually so funny because my friends look for places there. So like really small traffic. I mean, like one or two people going on. Um, but then also being the SRC helped a lot because I had like status then. Like I wasn't just like a random student. I'd been like elected in by like, you know, student votes. And so also because I was an SRC, like I was kind of known at the university and I'm pretty loud. And so I'd always like, <laughs> I'd like walk into lecture theaters and be like, guys, we have a very important issue we're talking about right now. The designated smoking zones on campus. I was like that person. Everyone like <laughs> hated for being so annoying. <laughs> But everybody knew what you were saying. Yeah, everyone's like, oh God, it's her again. <laughs> She's going to like campaign about something. And so I was just like, yeah, slagging it out there across like social media platforms. Like when I wasn't tweeting about my disdain for the government, I was like tweeting about this like silly website I'd built. And that's how it kind of started. And then like it worked for someone. Someone would be like, oh my gosh, well, I actually found someone on there. And then, oh, and then I built another page called Find a Digsmate. A Digsmate's like a roommate. And people found roommates on there. And that was actually really cool because, you know, the university experience is more than just about education. It's about like the social experiences, who you're studying with, it's the friends you have, the memories you make. It's, oh, we're sitting up at two o'clock in the morning, drinking beers in our dorm room and talking about the meaning of life. It's, you know, doing those like, oh my gosh, we have an exam in four hours. We've got a cram right now. It's sitting together. It's the hustle together. And that kind of community experience we want to bring into the next experience. And Especially in South Africa, there's a word here called Ubuntu, which means like togetherness. And it's really key in like our, our national like identity and culture. And so this togetherness was so important for us, uh, especially for students living off campus, you know, who felt excluded from, you know, the university experience to make them feel they were still a part of it. They're still part of the community. And so it just started working. I mean, students were finding roommates, still making friends, landlords were finding, you know, tenants on the website. And and especially for, you know, for a landlord, you look at them, it's not, I mean, some of these big property companies that have, you know, like tens of thousands of beds and they're owned by bigger international property companies with like hundreds of millions if not billions of rands of revenue so like 
they're just like they're they're fine. But a lot of our of our landlords are just like ordinary South Africans. They're middle class South Africans that uh, you know have saved up their whole lives. They've bought an investment property, like a you know two bedroom flat or like a four bedroom house in a student area, like a Rondebosch or a Braunfontein, and they want to fill it up. And they're not wealthy. They can't like you know take a few months of like no tenants because they can't afford that. They got to pay off their mortgages. They got to pay off their rates and taxes. South Africans are taxed extremely heavily and get pretty much nothing in return for it. Just another jab at the government there. <laughs> and they have to pay, you know, the insurance and then security companies. And they got these bills piling up. They got their kids they're going to pay for. They're working insane hours and they can't afford to have vacancies. So for them, the, it's really real. They have to get tenants in there. And so just these only South Africans are coming to us saying, we've got to find tenants. We've got these nice properties. And these are good people. They're not like these crazy, predatory, parasitic capitalists that want to like bleed the country right. They're good, normal, middle-class South Africans that are investing in our economy, buying property, and just want to fill those rooms up. And they put their properties on disconnect and they fill them up. And they're like, this is super cool. And they'll tell their friends who had bought investment properties, you know, you should try out putting your place on disconnect. And we just started like, literally just like pairing people up, you know, it just, it, it worked. I think it's, you know, I've been learning more about like the kind of lingo you use in like startups and stuff, but you know, it's when a user activates, I think is the term. Like when does it work? When does someone go on disconnect and they're just like, holy shit, this worked. You know, for a student, it's like, I love this. This, this works for me for a landlord. This works. This is worth coming back. And that's kind of what just started. And there was completely organic growth at the beginning where it was just working out for us. And then where my co-founder Greg joined and I like, Yo, I could talk about Greg for hours. He is just the coolest, most incredible, most like amazing person in like the whole fucking world. I love him so much. Did he join up before you dropped out of school? He did. He did actually. And he is incredible at marketing. Like he's just like a marketing branding genius. And the other reason why we work so well together. So we were on SLC together and we ran a student society together. So we knew we worked really well together. Like we'd worked together for a while before and and his boyfriend is also actually a friend of mine from high school. So like super like tight, which is awesome. Anyways, so he joined up and he is just really good at things I'm really bad at. So I'm good at like, big picture stuff and crazy ideas and like, rah, rah, rah. but I'm really bad operation. Like I put out focus sometimes and I get bored if I like do the same thing all the time. Whereas Greg is like a machine at operations. He just like structures everything, has plans. Like yo, the guy just takes like an Excel spreadsheet and he adds like, okay, this is the timelines we're going to achieve. These are our eyes. This is the numbers we're going to get. He's like, boom, boom, boom. And he just like gets it done. And then Brendan comes along and he can like build the stuff. So the three of us is this really strong team, which I think is also like such a big part of how it actually worked, how the company succeeded. Because like we're such a strong co-founding team and like our skills are so complementary. Like we just perfectly fit together in terms of you know what we can offer each other like i can come up with these crazy ideas and i just like go out there and i make things happen i do the sales and i speak to people and i get really excited Greg can take these things and like actually make it happen now instead of just there being ideas he can make an actionable plan okay this is how we're going to make this actually work and the brain comes along and says, like, okay cool well, i can build this and Brendan's like this insane developer who can like he rebuilt the entire platform in like like a month or something like that i mean the guy just when he gets into his code like he does not sleep and you know, just He's just insane. So, you know, the two of them came on board. So we're just being organic growth. And then Greg's like, no, I think you need to go big. Like, we need to go wild. We need to get everyone's attention now, you know, because we have each market. What makes the marketplace work is when there's liquidity. You know, you have to have enough buyers for sellers. And so for us, you have to have enough like beds for students. And because we're in so many different cities, it's always tricky balancing the ratio in each place. So we have teams, we've got landlord teams, we've got student teams. And let's say, for example, in like Johannesburg, you're servicing the two main universities there is Vatsrand and the University of Johannesburg, and then you go to private colleges. And there's a few main student areas like Braunfontein, Duenfontein, Rosebank. Um, and so you look at those areas and be like, how many beds do we have? And what's our student traffic? And balance those out. And if we find that, you know, we're really lacking one number, we have to do a bit of a marketing push to kind of balance it out. So we found that in Cape Town, we started getting a lot of landlords um, because a lot of property was being built and the marketplace was kind of being flooded with beds, but not enough students at one point. So we were like, okay, cool. How do we get a lot of students on the platform? Let's do a bit of like marketing. And so again, this is our first time like, you know, figuring out marketing. And so we're like, okay, well, we could put posters up on campus. So we could like give out flyers on campus. We're like, that just sounds so lame. Like it's like, that's a boring companies do i mean if it's a posters what the hell like we do like online advertising but everyone hates online ads i mean like this so, i mean now we do them but like <laughs> when you started out like no we need to like make we need to start with a splash we can't do something lame so we thought instead of like spending and this is like before we had any money i mean we were still like students like just recently dropped out we had like no cash at the time 
what I was doing is I was living in a bachelor pipe and I put a drywall up down the middle. I borrowed money, put a drywall up, rented half an hour, digs connect so I could make money to literally like feed myself at the time. And we were scraping together like 10 rands here and there. And Greg was like, what if we just took 10,000 rand in 10 rand notes, we stapled them to our flyers and we just threw them out in a crowd at the university. And we were like, what? That is insane. Let's do it. <laughs> we had to call like seven banks. The banks didn't carry that much cash on them anymore. We had to call like several banks and get like this huge bag basically of money. You know? <laughs> like walking through the streets of Cape Town, which is like wow. really dodgy at the bag yeah, of money. dangerous. <laughs> yeah, we tried to like hide it so it didn't, like, looked but like nondescript. I mean, you didn't even have like a paper bag with like a dollar sign on the front. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, like we told like, you know, it's like, it wasn't like we're going to get to campus to throw the money out. We knew like it had to be like impactful. Crap. So Greg and his classic Greg scar like planned the whole thing out, literally like a battle plan. I mean, he had the documents came out again, the spreadsheets came out and we had the whole thing planned down to the minute. So we did a three day build up and we got all like the base, like Instagram influencers on board, all the student influencers. We had them excited. We had photographers. We had drone footage of the day. We had the media involved. So you told everybody you're going to be throwing cash into the crowd. 10,000 Rand is going to be drops on UC's campus. Get excited, you know? And so, like, everyone was buzzing. Students were just going mad. They're, like, Instagramming. They're tweeting about it. They're space. We were, like, we had all these really cool, like, um, like graphics and, like, um, and, like, posters about it. And we're just getting, like, word out there and, like, leaking stories to the news the whole time. And then in order to build up, on the day before, we did a mini job. We dropped 2,000 rand just, like, at the food court. And that got people hyped because then we also had like photographers there. I'll show you some of the photos. If you go on our Instagram, you'll see them. We just see the photographs today. It was insane. So the day before we start dropping money out, so people knew it was legit. And everyone was just talking about, oh my gosh, I got like 100 on campus. I got 200 on campus today. This is a lot of money for a student. I mean, you think that like, to put in perspective, like you could buy a sandwich on campus for 20 Rand. So we're dropping 10,000 Rand now. Yeah. So people were just like, it was hectic. And this money is like attached to like a, an ad for Diggs Connect? A flyer, yeah. A flyer, okay. So we designed a flyer that said, thank you, UCT, this is for you. Then um, it was our tagline, just FI is send Diggs pics. Or <laughs> 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 like Diggs Connect thing. So it, it raises eyebrows sometimes. We had a bit of backlash, but that's This is what fun. you can do when you're marketing to college students. <laughs> You were selling to bankers, I'm not sure that would Yeah, work. I know, it probably wouldn't work. Maybe actually for bankers, it probably would work. Let's be serious. <laughs> it probably would work for bankers. But for students, we had flyers to say, send dicks pics. Uh, dicks pics, sorry. No one's <laughs> <laughs> forcing you to say this. <laughs> send dicks pics uh, with our flyers and the 10 run. So on the morning, we wake up and it's like 8 a.m., and that day, I mean, the university is panicking now because it's been on like the national news that we're going to drop money. Everyone's like freaking out. And they're like tweeting at us like, please, what's going on? We got to know. But we weren't going to be like ridiculous about it. We had hired like private security to kind of like mix into the crowd in case it was a riot. We'd had paramedics on standby. Like the whole thing was legit. And we start like doing like stories on Instagram. We have the main, the main like Instagram influencers. Uh, they call like UC Just Kidding. It's a meme page, but everyone follows them. And so we start like dropping hints. It's like, okay, is everyone ready? It's happening at 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock. And like everyone was online, like just messaging us. The hype was insane. Like it was like walking around camp trying to look for us because we had our Dick's Connect t-shirts on, but we were wearing hoodies over it so they couldn't see us. And so it was like, guys, where's Dick's Connect? Where's Dick's Connect? Like scouting on campus. And then we start up at the food court. How is laid out on a mountainside? So there's a lot of stairs, right? And like a lot of like concrete and, and stuff. So we planned the route very carefully. It's going to be me, Brian and Greg. And then kind of like the crew of these meme guys following us, live streaming the whole thing. And it was supposed to run from the food court down to the main plaza, which is called Jammy Plaza, Jamson Plaza. And it's kind of like, if you look at like pictures of UCT, it's like the main big building with like the columns and stuff. And like kind of like Greco-Roman architecture. And so we start the food courts and we take our hoodies off and almost immediately this like scream goes out, like, there he <laughs> And we were just like, Oh shit. <laughs> and like, I'm the smallest between the three. It was a like Greg and I. So it was not gunning for me, right? I'm just holding this like stack of cash in my hands. I just like panic. And it's like moments of planning. We looked at mass and planned the route. I just like, fuck this. Like I felt like I was not right. So I throw up like a couple hundred rand. People start like scrambling, like rugby tackling. I've never watched a rugby wow. before. It's not really a big in the States. 
with like these like rugby tackles like that before me. I have like, I mean, I'm reasonably fit, but I was like pushing the limit that day. I was like staying bolting my way through that campus. Like it was nobody's business. It just caused chaos on campus. It was. I'll show you the videos. I mean, this was insane. So I'm sure this I start, I start like running down the stairs, right? And there's just like about a hundred people sprinting after me. And I'm just like running for my life at this point. just like pure terror. It's <laughs> like throwing out money as I go. I come around the corner, like by the library, two Jamison Plaza, expecting it to be like maybe like a hundred people there. I come out, this roar erupts. There's about four thousand people waiting wow. for us on campus. But I'm alone now because Greg and Brett have come around the other side, but like the main stairs going up. So everyone hasn't seen them, they only see me. This entire crowd turns around and starts sprinting straight at me. <laughs> <laughs> like the fear I felt in my heart in that moment. Like I I it was just like, I just like threw the money up in the air, dropped down, and started like right, like this should like crouch and crawl in between people's legs. And then at the moment, Greg and Ben come on the corner and they start throwing their money out. So the crowd then spins around, starts running for them. And it was just like, it was crazy. The cool thing is that like, this wasn't bad. Like people, no one actually got hurt. No How many was, people died during this? No. <laughs> That's what I want to know. There was nothing bad happening because we had security guys there, like in the crowd to make sure there's no actual fights. Everyone was having like fun. Mm. It was like really positive. There was no like like mob action. It was just really good. People were just it was fine. It really this was fine. solved your your student shortage on the website. We, yeah, I mean our traffic that day was insane. Like we got not only was like the traffic from the students themselves going on to like what is Diggs Connect because they heard about us. Our brand awareness was huge. Since that day, we've owned UCT. Like the UCT market, the Cape Town market belongs to us because of their marketing campaign. Not only that, we got national news. Uh, we got international news because of that. We were invited to talk at like marketing events, but like guerrilla marketing. Because we'd also, not only had we done this campaign, we had hired photographers because we knew the photographs would be amazing. So we got these beautiful shots of like Jamison Hall and like the Diggs Connects so, of like flyers going everywhere. I mean, beautiful images. Like we planned the whole thing out, of course. How so, much did this cost you? This sounds like an expensive event, not to mention the money you're giving away, but like security. Yeah. And, like- <laughs> so... One thing I am extremely talented at is being stingy. <laughs> it's one of my great gifts in life. It's how can I save a buck here and there? I think it's why my investors like me so much. So I was like, oh, I think it costs 20 rand. Like, how dare you? You'll pay two. <laughs> two rand. Um, so not that much. I mean, obviously 10,000 rand was 10,000 rand. Security we actually got from the university. We're like, we need your security guards because it's going to be like, it's for your own benefit. You don't want students to be in a fight. So they covered that. We had like the university health professionals there as paramedics. So they were covering that. Photographers cost us like a couple. We got student photographers. We didn't hire like these amazing like national geographic photographers. We got guys that were like studying photography and they were like stoked to have a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. So I mean, honestly, not more than like 12,000 rand. And like to give people an idea of what this is, uh, South African rand, I think it's about a 14 to one conversion rate with the US dollar. Yeah. So 10,000 rand is like $700. Not that much money to probably the average American listener. It's crazy that like an entire college goes crazy <laughs> Literally. for that. I mean, and, and UCT especially, I mean, it's the, I think it's a, like according to like the world's university rankings, it's the best university in Africa. So it's pretty much is the premier university on the continent. So. And then $700 gets everybody in a frenzy. And it belongs to Disconnect. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I've noticed that, you know, is that how far a dollar can get you in Cape Town. You can rent like a five bedroom cliffside beach facing <laughs> villa for like you know 150 dollars a night here it's crazy and a lot of the founders that i talked to at the indie hackers meetup last night were taking advantage of this by basically starting companies where their customers mm-hmm. are based somewhere in the western world and they can pay a ton of money and they don't need that much profit to live a comfortable life as a yeah. founder in africa whereas your situation is different you're basically targeting local customers yeah you're not necessarily taking advantage of the fact that you you can reach a global audience because it's a very local business mm. what was your business model and how are you basically able to you know eventually pull yourself up from <laughs> having to live <laughs> you know in like a makeshift house and rent <laughs> half of it just to pay your bills so it actually we weren't sure to make money and the solution actually came to us from our users we I built this like this free platform as like a couple students. I mean, like this is cool, solves a problem, but like none of us had studied business or knew much about business. We just were like kind of going along with like the like life. And during like, our busy seasons, and like, now it's our busy season between I say like November to February is because our university starts in February, and so everyone looks for a place to stay between like November to January, and it's like really busy. And so Landlord would go on the platform at least like at eight AM, create a listing, and by four PM they're on like page ten, and so they'll call us and be like. 
what the heck, how can we be on page one? And we're like, oh, sorry, you can't. This is really busy right now. And the one guy's like, okay, can I pay you on page one? And we're like, that's a cool idea. Like, how much would you pay us to be on page one? And he was like, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? And we're like, um, 50 bucks. And the guy's like, okay. We're like, okay, no, wait, no, wait, 100 rand. <laughs> and he was like, okay. We're like, no, wait, wait, 200 rand. <laughs> and eventually realized we get to like, like a fair amount of money because like we had built something so valuable that like people willing to pay for that. And that's like, I think what the core business is literally just like solve someone's problem and like how much someone wanted to pay because that probably be sold for them. And that's what we realized like very early on, like people like literally wanted to pay us because we'd sold a problem for them. We could help them find tenants. And then we looked and then we started getting serious about, you know, the business model, looking at, you know, what were like competitors ish charging. So like estate agents, every time mm. they place someone, what was their commission, the kind of structure, um, other like listing platforms, what are they kind of charging? Like how much was a lease worth to a landlord? And when you deduct things that you pay, like all the expenses, what was left? So what is like a fair price for that lead generation fee, you know? And then we just kind of been formalizing that in a way. So instead of paying, I mean, everyone can pay from the front page. That doesn't necessarily ensure success. So something that we spoke about last night is like, how do you align your, your monetization with like your actual value add as a company? And our value add is like, like a signed lease, a placement. If a student has moved into a property because everyone's winning and the students won, they found a place to stay, they're stoked. The landlord's winning, they found a tenant, they're you know, getting rent, they're, they're pretty happy. So that moment, that's like our main KPI. That's and what that's, you should be paid for. Absolutely. Like that is when we should be charging. So that's what we do charge now. So we do a placement fee on that. We just, we weren't able to work on us. I mean, this is all, of course, brand new. Still figure, every day we figure out new things. So we only rolled that out last year in September with like a pilot group of landlords. So we have like a couple thousand landlords. We piloted with like 20 and it's been like insanely successful. Like we've had like thousands of applications sent just for those few landlords. And so we're going to be rolling it out to everyone this year. It's part of our 2020 plan because like people have to pay that. It's like I was saying, like you, you will pay for this value. Like you will spend... I mean, Lord knows I spend a fortune on coffee every day because I get a lot of value out yeah. of it. So the value is there. We help people fill their beds. We help students find places there. And that's what we charge. That's such an important point. I think if you provide something of value for people, they'll pay for it. Absolutely. And it, it it's one of those things where a lot of people talk about, for example, should I start a B2B or B2C business? Should I sell to other businesses or should I sell to other consumers? And I think the stereotype is that it's really hard to sell to consumers, especially students, because they don't have any money. <laughs> you know? It's so much harder to get them to pay for things. But the reality is that there are things that consumers pay a lot of money for. Housing is pretty much at the top of that list. People pay a lot of money for housing because it's an extremely necessary thing in life. Yeah. Education is right up there. Food, as you mentioned, coffee, yeah. people pay a lot for. And so the fact that you're actually solving not a trivial fake problem, you're not like helping people, you know, do something that they would normally never do. You're helping people solve one of the basic necessities of life. Living, yeah, is, housing. I mean, it's like a human rights. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. so of course you can charge for it and you can charge commission basically or a percentage of, you know, these like matchmaking yeah. uh, that you're doing and like build a very profitable business. Absolutely. I mean, it's like we, like we add so much value for like landlords. If you look at, especially in the big companies, you have like thousands of beds. Like you look at how much an empty bed costs them, like that lease fee. I mean, a lease is worth, let's say anything between like, you know, 40,000 Rand to like 120,000 Rand. And you start multiplying those leases, like even like you have like, you know, five, six, seven empty beds, it adds to a lot of money for them. So to spend a couple thousand Rand to fill up those beds, is like it's worth it, not only in terms of, you know, the, the, the tangible thing of like, I'm filling a bed, I'm getting rental, but just like vacancies look bad. So let's say now you're a property company, you own a few buildings and you want to go to the bank to get a loan to get another one. Then you say like, you know, what's your vacancy rate? And if you've got a vacancy rate that's pretty high, like that's not it's not attractive to like load money into you then to like fill up. You're like, you're obviously, are you, you, you kind of failing as an operator. So like we've just like streamlined everything at like this extreme focus of digs connect. It's like, we will fill your beds with students. And like, that's been really important for us to kind of be like super, super focused. And it's, I think it's so tempting as a startup founder, especially like, you know, as young startup founders and first timers to be like, look at all these cool ideas. Like we're going to do it all. And like someone will be like, lying in bed like two in the morning all these crazy ideas and be like oh my gosh we should totally do this one like totally out there idea and i'll call my co-founders and wake them up and be like guys best idea ever ice creams of all students <laughs> totally out there they're like what no and luckily i've had this incredible mentor who's just like he's he's built like three companies already um he like picked me up out of like the swamps of like early entrepreneurship days and he's been like invaluable to me. I couldn't have done him. He always says just like, whenever I call him, I'm like, Philip, I've got this crazy idea. He's like, no, I don't want to hear about it. Your focus, you need to fill beds. That's what you do. You fill student beds. You're a student brand, you're student accommodation. I don't hear about anything else until you get that right, until every single student in this country that is looking for off-camp student accommodation, about 1.2 million students, 
like until like a vast proportion of those are being serviced by your platform, don't even look at anything else. Like extreme focus. Because every time that you're thinking or working on something else that isn't your core value add, you're taking time away from fixing another thing. And like the chance of succeeding is like directly proportional to how much time you're putting into that that one thing you're doing. It's like, I don't know, if you want to be a runner, you got to run. If you're not running and you're like, I don't know, playing chess or something, then like, what the fuck? <laughs> run. <laughs> so what are your goals at this point? You raised money. You built out a team of, of how many people? There's 13 of us. 13 of you in this wonderful office. You're trying to focus. There's 1.2 million students in South Africa who need housing. <laughs> uh, where do you go from here? Uh, how big of a company do you want to build and, and why? So so the plan is right now we're in like the heat of our season. Right now it's like we have every day this month has been busier than the last day. Like January is our craziest month. It is just insane right now. Everyone's looking for places to stay. So we just need to survive January. We need to make sure that we're not dropping the ball, that we're placing all the students and we're monetizing because this we make all our money now during January. So just lock down this month, do a good job, make sure that all the students are, have a pl- have place to stay. By about like mid to end February, then things will die down completely. The students will stay on the place for the year and they're out. So we kind of like live our lives from like February to February. Um, so then after that, plan is to just then roll out our monetization across to all our users because you know, we kind of piled the, the small subsection. So run with everyone, make sure that's working. Um, and there's a few options we're looking at. We're quite excited with the idea of like a student ecosystem. Like there are so many ancillary services to education that students require that we could, we could add through Dex Connect. I mean, you look at all the ways the students transacting from the textbooks to transport, tutoring, financial services, top-ups, loans. There's like all these ways we can work with students just like help you know, like support the educational experience. We can expand to property more. You know, we've got one foot in prop tech, one foot in like ed tech. So we could do more like prop tech stuff. That's really exciting. I think especially in Africa, like properties are really exciting. Or we just keep, we have now maybe going to national. Like there's a lot of, a lot of students in the world, a lot of places that I think a lot of first world countries are too scared to trade. If you've built a business in the States or in the UK and you're used to building a, a company in like an established economy with a stable government, going somewhere perhaps like India, or like Argentina or like, you know, somewhere it's still developing. It might be stuck, might be tough. Whereas like we've known, like we thrive in developing and in tough conditions. So maybe it's, it's expanding to places that haven't been, you know, talked about competition yet. There's a few things we're looking at. It's a lot of options. A lot of options. Honestly, we haven't looked at two properly. We have our big kind of like strategy meeting at the end of our season. Mm. So once we've gone through the season, we're just like learning everything we can now, focusing on like our core thing, our core KPI, which is just placing students, learning from that, and then adjusting from there. How do you like, I know you haven't had this meeting yet, but how do you even think about evaluating, you know, which of those options you're going to choose? Because it's, you know, and to some degree you have to consider your goals as a founder and what you want to do mm-hmm. personally, what will make you happy, what you like working on, the impact you want to have, how big your business can get, which one is more lucrative, mm-hmm. which of these options, which of these <laughs> factors do you think resonates with you the most? I, don't know, I think that, you know, entrepreneurship was like a mistake for me. Like it kind of just like happened. Like, I never plan on doing this, never like wants to be this. And somehow I just did. I fell into this and it was the most like serendipitous event because like I fucking love it. It is so cool. It is such a cool, exciting, meaningful, kick-ass way to spend like, uh, you know, a life of building companies and, and like, and working on like, you know, building companies and especially in South Africa and across Africa. I, yeah, I, I want to keep doing this. Like I can't imagine doing anything else in my life. And even though like, I think it's, it's exciting and lucrative to look at like first world countries, but adding services and building companies and developing places where they need it more, you know, building, especially across Africa is I think such a great challenge. It is such a cool thing to do to wake up and face a really hard situation. Be like, how do you build, uh, how do you build a, uh, a company or how do you build this infrastructure in a place like, you know, the DRC, like, you know, in like Ethiopia or whatever and facing those challenges and like figuring it out and like, and having a huge impact, I mean, I think that's really cool. And Digs Connect is just, it's a cool company. I mean, we've got such a strong, like, student brand. We have an awesome user base. It just, the impact we can have, like, the ripple effects we have with that is so exciting. I mean, just for example, like, one of the towns we work is called, it's Gramstown. It's a little town in the Eastern Cape, and there's a university called Rhodes University. It's a great university. The town itself is quite poor. And the, the province, the province like a state, is also quite poor. But with Dexcon, for example, we've seen that we've gone there. We've gone to, again, like local homeowners, normal South Africans that have, like, you know, a spare apartment, and they've listed their, their place on Dexconnect. Now, students that have either funding from their parents or from a bank or from the government are going there, spending money now and staying in this rent. And now we've seen, like, not only are the landlords making money, like, you know, these local South Africans, but also these ancillary services are picking up now. There's 
cafes have started like popping up to feed the students and beauty salons and, and like art galleries. And suddenly you had this wave of entrepreneurship that's been picked up and built in the back of like, you know, what Disconnect is doing. And this is so fucking cool. Like if we can do this across a bunch of economies around all these university towns, these college towns where like you literally like bring people together, you lend to like transact economically of our service. I mean, this is super cool. Like if we could just keep taking this out to the world, like I don't, yeah, I don't see anything else I'd want to do other than this. I mean, we had a few offers to like people want to buy the company. It's way too soon. I mean, like if I wasn't doing this, I'd just start another company and I don't know, maybe like a space company. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, I'm loving this. I mean, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. Diggs is is one of the coolest companies you could possibly run. You get to do all sorts of immature uh, (laughs) marketing campaigns. Our tagline is, you know, St. Diggs fix, come on. Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) So a lot of people listening live in places where it's not super developed, where there aren't a lot of investors, there aren't a lot of people building tech businesses and they want to have an impact. And maybe they have some of the same fears that people in South Africa might have. They don't necessarily have a good fallback plan. They don't necessarily have the infrastructure to do something well. What's your biggest tip to indie hackers in that situation for how they can get started and build something impactful? I think the first thing is the belief in yourself. You have to believe that like you are capable of like fixing the problem. You are capable of providing the solution. Like there's no special formula. You have to be born with it. I mean, like the great entrepreneurs, like it's not like some big secret that they have, you know, that like makes them capable and you're not capable. Like everyone is capable of like building the company, fixing the problem, providing the solution, you know, just playing that role in society. So it's the absolute belief that you can do it. And that has to stick with you. That's like, that's got really deep inside you and stick with you because people are going to say no to you a thousand times. You're going to try to, I mean, I've cold called landlords. When we first started, I was cold calling landlords all the time saying, Hey, please list your property on Disconnect. And they'd be like, no, like, where'd you get my number from? You freak. <laughs> and I'd be like, sorry. Okay. Bye. <laughs> so people are going to say no to you so often. People are going to say that you're crazy or they're going to like try to shame you. You're going to like fuck up. I mean, like I've gone to like pitch to like big property companies and our websites crashed in the middle of the pitch, like a hundred people watching. And it's, it's hella embarrassing, but you got to keep pushing through that. So like, I think if you know that you're facing a, it's a, it's a real problem that you want to solve. It's a real business opportunity. It's a real thing there that like people are struggling with one thing. They hate it and they'll pay you to fix this problem for them. And you're going to build this company, you're going to build this product, the solution or whatever it is. It's like, it's build it, just like do it, you know? And if you haven't got the, you know, the, the means to like devote all your time to it, that's totally fine. Like, I mean, I was studying part-time when I started work, or f- I was studying full-time when I started on Disconnect. So um, you can still be working full-time and build things on the side. Um, at the end of the day, it does come down to a bit of sacrifice. Like you have to, there's only so many hours you have in your, in your day as a human being and you have to allocate those. So like one thing that kind of sucked is like, I've had to kind of love social time for myself. Like, like my relationships all systematically failed one after the other because like I'm spending my evenings at the office, you know, I'm getting home at like 10 o'clock every night. My weekends I'm working. Like I'm so obsessed with this company that I choose this company every single time over everything else. Like my friendships have suffered because of it. Like my friends don't see me for months at a time because like, this is what I do. I don't go to parties because I want to work. So you sacrifice, you know, like my health has suffered sometimes because I'll be like drinking a lot of coffee, you know, or like, my co-founder starts stress smoking or I can't exercise every day anymore. I used to like love like running and stuff. Now I have to like squeeze exercising whenever I can. You like don't sleep as well. Like your stress levels. I started getting psoriasis actually, which is like a stress related like skin rash, like eczema uh, because of it. So it's kind of just like, it's setting your conviction. It's like this like do or die kind of attitude. Like you will do this no matter what it takes. Like you will do it. No matter like, how many times people say no to you or you mess up or things go wrong or, you know, you suffer for it or it doesn't make sense or you don't want to give up or you're tired. You just like, you will do this. You will take one step at a time. And then it's one step at a time. I mean, my one friend's got this quote that says, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. So you just got to go at it. I mean, the first video of Disconnect was a two-page website built on like Wix or something, like whatever. There's like, what's the most basic iteration you can do that like provides value do that and just start and go and go and go and go. And it's like, do not ever give up because you will get it wrong. Absolutely. But like, if you keep going, you'll eventually get it right, you know? And that's all you need. You need one time getting it right. I read this thing the other day about Pablo Picasso and apparently he produced 50,000 artworks in his lifetime. And of those, only a hundred are considered to be masterpieces. I mean, those odds are insane. Most of his work is trash, right? But like every now and again, he like really hit the nail on the head. And that's with everything. I mean, like the, you know, the famous Edison story about the light bulbs and stuff. It's just like, don't give up. Like 
geez, like people are like, they had like one like tummy ache and they're like, oh, okay, I'm going to stop. <laughs> like, no, come on. You know, this phrase that Greg and I'll say to each other if we start whining, eat a spinous mint and harden the fuck up. Like, just don't give up. Keep going at it. Like, you will get it right. And unless, I mean, unless the market really changes. Like, let's say, for example, tomorrow, all the universities decide they're all going to build a million residences overnight. That's the end of our company, you know? <laughs> so then you give up because <laughs> then it's not working. Or, like, there's, like, an actual, like, reason why, like, I don't know, like, you want to make, like, like, I'm to a ridiculous business. You want to, like, sell gloves to eat ice cream with because ice cream was melting your hands. No one's going to buy that product. It's a shitty product. <laughs> if you're making ice cream gloves, you probably should give up. <laughs> but short of that, <laughs> like, figure it out. And the good bit is always, like, if you're facing the problem and other people facing the problem, and, I mean, like, the other night, I remember I have, in South Africa, you get, like, prepaid water. You get prepaid electricity, you get prepaid water. And I never knew this was a thing, but the new part I'm saying is prepaid water. So it's, like, 11 o'clock at night. I'm in the shower, washing my hair, and my water cuts off. And I'm like, are you kidding me so i get out and i'm like kind of like looking around the water meter thing and it's like you're out of water credits i'm like that is so bizarre but whatever i just i can surely buy it online that's been apt to buy water credits because you can buy electricity in your banking app so as long as my banking app and there's no way to buy water credits i'm like no ways so i google this and i'm like looking online like there has to be a way for me to buy water online like just these credits and like there's no way to buy online i was like what the hell so like i look at this company's website i'm reading through the things and you can only buy it from a pick and pay which is kind of like a like grocery chain yeah grocery chain yeah it's kind of um yeah it's cool and they're normally everywhere but now it's like 11 o'clock at night and they're all gonna be closed so i'm like what the hell so i'm like looking online and there's a 24 hour like mini pick and pay like fairly close by in sea points which is like a 20 minute 15 20 minute drive so i'm like okay let me just shampoo my hair towel on let me just go to pick and pay whatever get in my car drive there i get there they're like sorry because of the load shedding the machine's been down Uh, you can't buy water credits until tomorrow I'm like, are you? No! <laughs> Rage, but there's like nothing I could do. Like, no one could help me at that point. Like, I literally would have paid like any amount just to have a shower at that point in my apartment. It's all I wanted. I mean, I could have driven to my gym, Sean Charlie, but I just wanted to be in my apartment. Like, there's any amount of money I would have paid there. <laughs> like, if, if an entrepreneur had said, here's the way you can do it. I mean, that's a very niche situation. But yeah. <laughs> like, there's everyone loves to complain worst thing you complain about all the time that you hate solve that problem figure it out like replicate it sell to the people you have a business believe in yourself don't give up and solve real problems <laughs> great advice thank you so much Alexandria for coming on the show um, I think Dix Connects is a super cool business and hopefully listeners learn something and were inspired can you tell them where they can go to learn more about what you're up to at Dix Connect and follow along with your story so you can find us on our website is just digsconnect.com. That's D-I-G-S connect.com. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, Digs Connect, Instagram, Digs Connect, Facebook, Digs Connect. You can WhatsApp us if you want. We love chatting to people all the time, WhatsApp, literally. If I'm like, can't sleep and now go like on our WhatsApp, like, hey guys, <laughs> change our users. <laughs> um, yeah, like any and every social media platform, you can find us there. All right. Thanks again, Alex. Cheers. Cheers.